0: Father, we do worship you, we glorify you, we bless you, we thank you. We are in awe of who you are. And of the incredible love shown us in your precious son, Jesus Christ, that he would give up all things that we might live, and that he would make promises on our lives. Father, help us today to receive all of those promises. To live our lives on the foundation of those truths. To be completely yours, not simply for this hour, but for the rest of our days. Until that time when the trumpet sounds and the clouds part and Jesus once again comes to be with us. Father, we give this day, this time, this hour, this one more day to you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat this morning. Well, back in uh, August, so almost uh, a year ago, back in August, I did a yeah, message series called uh, Big Questions. And, of course, you all remember that. And uh, two of the questions that I answered in that Big question series was, uh, so um, what about Jesus coming back? And uh, what about uh, the tribulation? And it was interesting. Uh, I got a huge response from uh, those two messages in particular in that series. And so uh, today uh, I thought I would do a a follow-up and kind of promised I would. I'd do a follow-up to those messages to just kind of revisit one more time this whole um, doctrinal understanding, this promise we have about Jesus uh, coming again and looking at um, what, what difference does that make to us, this truth, that uh, Jesus is uh, coming again? And so it's kind of like this uh, cartoon, you know, we know the end is near, but is that a good thing or a bad thing? Just kind of revisit it one more time and figure out uh, how good that is for us to know that thing. And to put in a plug here, uh, this, this is a standalone message. Next Sunday we'll start a new message series. Uh, called Passionate Summer. It'll continue through the rest of the summer, and uh, we're going to look at some of the passionate psalms uh, for the rest of the summer, so kind of get you ready for that. Um, but today, we're talking about uh, about Jesus coming back, uh, the end times, what differences it make, is it a good thing, or is it a bad thing? And as we get to uh, talk about, you know, Jesus coming back, what happens right away is Uh, we always want to jump to the question of, well, when, right? I mean, we'll see it in the scriptures. We always kind of want to jump to the question of when, and and there's been all kinds of predictions about the when, right? People have spent a lot of time, a lot of energy, all that about the when. I went through, did a little research. I came up with at least 23 predictions so far about when Jesus is going to come back, and all of them so far, of course, have been absolutely wrong. What's interesting is that when you start looking at these predictions, they go uh, they go way back. The earliest I could find was 500 A.D. So in 500 A.D., uh, Hippolytus of Rome, a third century uh, theologian, predicted the date and the time when Jesus was going to come back. And he did it based on the dimensions of the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, you'd have to go read Hippolytus and his whole the- theory about why that worked. and what the dimensions of the Ark of the Covenant had to do with it, but nonetheless, it goes back to 500 A.D., uh, where we get this prediction about Jesus uh, coming back, and it just continued on after that. Just give you a quick survey, 500 A.D., the next one was uh, 1,000 uh, A.D., when there was just kind of this end-time craze around the number 1,000, right? Then uh, 1,033 um those same folks that kind of in 1,000 said, well, certainly it's going to happen in, in the year 1,000. They, they were wrong in 1,000, so they said, oh, oops, made a mistake. We forgot to add Jesus' age onto it, and so they said it's going to be 1,033. And, of course, the oops was still an oops. Uh, then you go up to 1186. Uh, the New World Order got involved, and they made their prediction. 1284, Pope Innocent the Third. Uh, got involved. He came up with a date uh, for it. It didn't happen, of course. 1346, the Black Plague hit, and everybody thought this was it. This one seemed to make sense to me, actually. Uh, In 1496, uh, they believed it was going to happen because that was exactly 1,500 years from the birth of Jesus, so that was a significant date. 1669, uh, some folks believed it over in uh, Russia to the point they believed it so much and were so fearful about the day that 20,000 people burdened themselves uh, between uh, 1669 and 1690. Isn't that amazing? That blew me away. 1792, uh, the Shakers got involved. They were wrong. Uh, March 21st, 1843, a guy named William Miller started a group, and it's called the Millerites, uh, and uh, he predicted the second coming. And of course, he was wrong and then said, well, wait a minute. Uh, I was wrong by a year, so he moved it to uh, 1844, and those Christians were so convinced that he was correct that they sold their property, they quit their jobs, it was called the Great Disappointment. 1874, Jehovah's Witness started predicting, and they've continued to do that. 1891, Mother Shipton, uh, a mystic of the 16th century, she predicted and was wrong. December 17th, 1919, uh, Albert Porta predicted that there would be a cosmic alignment of six planets that would cause the sun to explode and thus the end of the world, and Jesus would come back. 1973, uh, David Berg predicted a comet was going to hit the Earth, and that would be the end. 1980s, you had uh, Gene Dixon. Everybody remember Gene Dixon? First service people did. Nobody here is old enough to remember Gene Dixon, huh? Okay, for her. She was a celebrity psychic. She predicted that it was going to happen, a comet would hit the world. Uh, Let's see. 1981, fifty 1981, 50 members of the Assembly of Yahweh gathered on Coney Island, New York, to wait the end of the world. Between the hours of 3 p.m. and sundown, didn't happen, but of course I suppose anybody will gather in Coney Island, New York, right? Uh, 1988, Edgar Edgar C. Wisner wrote, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture is in 1988, and uh, he must have missed that one by one or two. Then September 1994, this guy you'll know, Harold Camping, wrote a book called 1994, saying that it was going to be the end of the world then, and Harold Camping was part of the latest big craze with the bulletin boards and all that kind of stuff, and uh, the 1992 thing. And then, of course, we had in the year 2000, uh, we had the big ex- expectation, of the end of the world. Do you remember why it was going to end in uh, January one two thousand? Come on, commuter geeks. Yeah, the Y two K thing. Remember that people getting water and all that's the end of the world because they all that right. And then of course this was the latest one with uh, with camping, <clears throat> saying that uh, you know it's going to be May uh, two thousand eleven and then October uh, two thousand twenty one. And we're not done yet, right? You know we're living under prediction right now. Right? Yes, the end of the world in 2012, connected to the Mayan calendar, right? Do you know that one's out there right now? The Mayan calendar uh, is going to be coming to a close, and so there's a big prediction that that's going to happen. And in case you're on board with that, I checked this morning, the official countdown, as of 7 a.m. this morning, you have 165 days, 19 hours left to go, okay? according to the official countdown for the Mayan calendar. Kind of thing. Well, what's the deal? The, the the whole deal is whenever we start talking about this end of times stuff, uh, in in our brokenness, we always want to jump to the when is it going to happen, right? Well, well when is when is it going to happen? And and the reality is that we need to start simply with the promise that Jesus makes, right? And Jesus just makes a straightforward promise, and and his promise is he's going to return. He just makes a promise. He's going to return. So we look at John 14, and he's talking to his disciples, and he's getting ready to depart. You know, and He's telling them, look, I'm going to go. I'm going to prepare rooms for you. you know, you've heard that text before, yeah, but I'm going to come back. Here's what he says. If I go and do that, I will come back. Right? So he makes this promise to us that I'm going to come back, and I'm going to take you to be with me, and then where we'll, I'll be, you'll be, we'll be good together. Right? So he makes this promise. For us, it should be enough to just take Jesus at his word and understand Jesus' promise isn't about when he's going to come back. His promise is he's going to come back. That's a great promise. See, we, we as Christ followers don't get to choose what promises we want to believe that Jesus makes and what ones we don't. It's a package deal. If you're a Christ follower, you you follow Christ in all of his promises, right? We can't say, well, I kind of like that promise about forgiveness and and I kind of like you know, that promise that he's going to make out there about favor, and that's all good. But yeah, this, this, this coming back promise, I'd like to kind of ignore that. It doesn't work that way, right? We need to take him at his word, and we need to receive all the promises over our lives. So we just start by understanding that this is a promise that Jesus makes. And this promise is a promise that ought to impact us every single day, just like all the other promises. It's a promise he makes over our life. And it's a promise that's valid for every single day of our life. And that promise is reaffirmed in other places in the scripture. If you go to uh, the book of Acts, when Jesus ascended, uh, he ascends. And as soon as he ascends, you know, all the disciples are kind of standing there looking up in the sky going, Wow, cool, amazing. Did you see that? Wow, fantastic. And there's an angel off to their right, missing the angel, of course. They're looking off into the sky. And the angel says, whoa, men of Galilee, why are you standing there looking at the sky? Jesus has been taken away from you into heaven, but he will come back. He's going to come back in the same way that you saw him go. So we've got Jesus making the promise. We've got an angel confirming the promise that Jesus is going to come back. And then we get other places in Scripture like the Apostle Paul teaching the same truth. The Lord himself will come down from heaven. We'll hear a loud command. We'll hear the voice of the leader of the angels. We'll hear a blast of God's trumpet, right? So there's a promise that is just spoken over all of us Christ followers saying, listen, there's going to be a day and a time when Jesus is going to come back. And so our every day, as we live our every day, we live under this promise, that this promise should somehow creep into and impact the way we approach every day. Just as much as the promise of forgiveness impacts how we approach every single day. The trouble for us is we want to jump to the when. Well, well, when is it going to happen? What, what, what day? What time? What hour? Right, And we get a clear teaching in Acts 1 when Jesus ascends uh, that right before he ascends... He speaks to the disciples, and these are among his last words, the beginning of his last words. He says, You should not be concerned about times or dates. The Father has set them by his own authority. What should we not worry about? When? (laughs) Right? So so get off the when, all right? Stop the predicting stuff. Don't, Don't waste your time and your energy around trying to figure out the when. The when is not the point. The point is, he's coming back. And that has relevance to our every day. The Apostle Paul says, listen, it's just going to happen. And he gives us an image and says, it's, it's just like a thief. Like a thief in the night. He says, I don't need to write you about the time or the date when all this will happen. You surely know that the Lord's return will be as a thief coming at night. And what's really cool is not only does Paul teach this, but also Peter teaches as well uses the same exact image he says the day of the lord's return will surprise us like a thief so we don't know the time we don't know the day we're not going to know the time we're not going to know the day we don't need to waste our energy we just know it's going to happen and it's going to be surprise it's just going to be that way it's just like a thief in the night it's just going to be this experience that takes place and it's just kind of a surprise unpredictable kind of experience So does that mean that we don't have any idea? Does that mean that we don't have anything out there that can kind of remind us that this is going to happen? No. Jesus gives us signs. He gives us signs. Not signs like the guy here. You've seen those guys walking around the street or driving the vans, you know, painting on the van. Not those kind of signs. But he does give us signs. And the signs are there so that we can remember this promise over our life. That we're going to see things happening in the world. And when we see these things happening in the world, it's like Jesus is giving us this sign, this reminder that says, Hey, remember, you live under a promise. You see these things happening, remember, you live under a promise. Tomorrow when we get that one more day, if he doesn't come back tonight, we, we can remember, hey, we'll see signs, we'll see events, we'll see stuff going on. But all of that just simply reminds us to say, Don't worry about the day or time. Just remember, you live under a promise. You live under a promise. The signs he talks about, uh, you know, he answers in, in response to the question that the disciples have where they go to the wind right away. So, teacher, when will all this happen? How can you know things are going to take place? He just says, look, there's going to be signs. Don't be fooled by those who come and claim to be me. They'll say I'm the Christ. Now is the time, but don't be... Fooled by them. So there's going to be false saviors out there in the world. There's going to be fake saviors out there in the world that try to grab our attention. And that's really prevalent in our culture. And probably the, the most obvious fake savior in our culture is all of the comfort and all the affluence that we enjoy in our culture. Because if you talk to the, uh, the regular person on the street and you say, so are you excited about the idea that Jesus is going to come back tomorrow? You know what the average person on the street says? Well, you know, I got this big king gig coming up tomorrow. I'd kind of like to do that. I really kind of enjoy him going on vacation. You know, I got a big event coming up. I'd really like. So if we could just get him to postpone it until after that event. You know that story, Right. Right. Well, what's going on? Well, there's fake saviors, right? It's like, well, we just, we're just we really enjoying the life we have. We're really enjoying the stuff we have. We're really enjoying the, the goodness that we have. And so we just like to postpone, right? It's like a fake savior that somehow this stuff is more important than the real savior. Right? And you say, look, that's going to happen. There's going to be all kinds of things that try to fool us and make a claim over our lives and try to draw us away from him that's happening remember you live under a promise when that starts creeping into your life remember you, you don't it's not the stuff you live under a promise there's gonna be conflict conflicts gonna arrive when you hear about wars and riots don't be afraid these things will have to happen first but that isn't the end nations will go to war against one another the kings will attack each other can you believe how much conflict there is in the world i mean it's all over the place right watch watch the news I mean. What's it a sign? It, well, it just reminds us all the time that we live in the broken world. This world is not our hope. This world is not our hope. W- why? We live under a promise. And, and the promise is Jesus is going to come back. This world is not the answer for us. This world isn't going to be everything that we want it to be. It's going to be with conflict and wars and hatred. It's, it's going to have suffering and pain. This, this, this world is not the answer. What is the answer? The answer is the promise. That we live under a promise. That promise is relevant and freeing to us. There's going to be disasters. There'll be great earthquakes. And in many places, people will starve to death and suffer terrible diseases. All sorts of frightening things will be seen in the sky. So there's going to be tsunamis, and there's going to be earthquakes, and there's going to be all kinds of suffering and wildfires and all this stuff that we see going on. Why are they there? Those signs remind us. It's a broken world, but we live under a promise that Jesus is going to come back. Here's the hardest one. Jesus says there's going to be a sign in a a time when the church loses its favor in the world and that we will be persecuted. Before all this happens, you'll be arrested and punished. You'll be tried in your meeting places and put in jail. Because of me, you'll be placed on trial before kings and governors. But this will be your chance to tell about your faith. That The favored favored status of the church in our world, in our culture, and in our government is going to decrease to the point where now our faith becomes a liability that we'll be attacked for our faith, that government will turn against the church. I mean, do you start to feel and see the eroding of that in the world today and even in our culture today? How about being a Christian over in Egypt right now? Things happening? I mean, so what, remember, why is this important? Remember, this is going to happen, okay? Remember, when this is happening, that you live under a promise. And the promise is, Jesus is going to come back. Why is it important to us? The point is not about when is he coming back. The point is, he's coming back. Just knowing that. Just just being a Christ follower, it says, listen, I know that Jesus is going to come back. And because I know Jesus is going to come back, I can stand up and I can endure because I know freedom awaits. See, you may not be in a great place in your life right now. You may not be in a very good season of what's going on in your life right now. But if you know Jesus is going to come back, you know it will not last, whatever's going on in your life. I mean, if you know Jesus is going to come back, and you don't know when, it could be today, it could be tomorrow. What do you have to do? You have to face that challenge, stand up, like the scriptures say, stand up and endure one more day. Just stand up and endure. How long? One more day. Why? Because Jesus may come back tomorrow. This season will not last in my life. Whatever this hardship is, it will not last in my life. Why? Because Jesus is coming back. All I have to do is concentrate on enduring and standing for that one more day. And if he doesn't come back tomorrow, the same objective, stand and endure for that one more day. Why? Because it may be the next day. See, the the promise over our life gives us the freedom to be able to say, listen, this will not defeat me. This will not control my life. I know Jesus is coming back. He made a promise over my life, and I will not be defeated by this. I will endure one more day. I will endure one more day because Jesus is going to come back, and he will defeat whatever it is in my life. Knowing this promise gives us that freedom to endure that one more day. The point The point is... It gives us the freedom to not just endure one more day, but to also then seek holy living. That knowing Jesus is coming back means that every day is a new gift and a new opportunity before he comes back. It's a new gift and it's a new opportunity to be more and more like him. That, to have our lives become everything that he wants them to be, right? I mean, we get one more day. Did he come back today? Not yet, but as long as I got the day, it's one more day for me to grow closer to Christ. It's one more day for me to worship. It's one more day for me to be in the Scripture. It's one more day to be with fellow Christians. It's one more day for me to be in prayer. It's one more day for me to have the opportunity to let my life be changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's one more day so that my life can become more and more of what Christ wants it to be. Why? Because I live under promise. and The promise is he's coming back. And if he hasn't come back today, I just had one more day to do what he wanted me to do, to be what he wanted me to be. Peter says, So everything will be destroyed, and what kind of people should you be? You should lead holy and godly lives. Live like those as you look forward, Live like that as you look forward to the day of God. It will make the day come more quickly. So it's not worrying about when, it's a worrying about what do I do with the day? I know he's going to come. What do I do with the day until that happens? I'll endure one more day if I'm in a hard season of my life. I will let my life become more and more like him. And finally, most importantly, I will make a witness as best I can for that one day. I'll make the best witness I can make for that one day. Knowing that Jesus is coming back means that today is an opportunity for me to be the best person I can be in Christ and to make the best witness I can make for Jesus Christ in that day. Dear friends, here's one thing you must not forget. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow to keep his promise. He's not slow in the way some people understand it. He's patient with you. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. Instead, he wants all people to turn away from their sins. Why do we get one more day? Because we get one more day to make our marriages better and tell our spouse about Christ. We get one more day to make our families better and tell our children about Christ. We get one more day to live with our neighbors and tell them about Christ. We get one more day to work in our job to make a difference in this world, be a faithful worker and tell people there about Christ. You see, we get one more day for the purpose of making an impact in the kingdom of heaven. Why is this important? It's important because we know he's coming back and we live under that promise. And it's that promise that gives us the freedom to make the most out of the one more day. Knowing that promise gives us the absolute freedom and conviction to be able to say, I am going to make this day count for the kingdom of heaven because Jesus may come back tomorrow. That one more day gives us the opportunity to maximize our lives until the trumpet sounds and the clouds part and Jesus comes. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that we get the opportunity to have uh, one more day and to live under this promise. And this this is such an important promise to us because it frees us. It frees us to make the most of every hour. It frees us to make the most of every day. It frees us under that promise that we belong to you and you are going to come and you are going to take us to be with you. We live under that promise, that conviction. And, Lord, we ask, work in our lives. If we're in a season of difficulty, give us that spirit of endurance. Give us the opportunity for that one more day to endure and go beyond. Father, we thank you for the promise we received today, and we look forward to the time when you return. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.